0: If you don't mind, go to 2 Peter chapter 2, please. Genesis 19 is we're going to be spending a good chunk of the lesson, but 2 Peter chapter 2, we also need to start there as well. This is the very famous story tonight of Sodom and Gomorrah. And I don't think I'm giving away a spoiler alert here. We know how the story ends. Um, But we need to really study how we get to this point. What really happens here? So we're going to be in Genesis 19 for the bulk of the lesson, but also Second Peter here, chapter 2 is what starts us out. Because last week, if you were with us, as we got ready to talk about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham is praying for Sodom and Gomorrah to be saved. And basically him and God have this conversation. They get down to this deal, if you will. If there's 10 righteous people, 10 righteous people in this town of Sodom, God will spare the town. Now, you would think that'd be pretty easy to have 10 righteous people. We already know Lot's there. That's Abraham's nephew. So we have Lot, his wife. They have at least two daughters. The Bible mentions two son-in-laws, which could mean two other daughters that were married for a total of eight, or it could mean his two daughters back in Bible times. If you were betrothed to be married, you were actually considered a uh, son-in-law there. So either way, you have six people or eight people. You only need two or four more people to complete the set, and you got 10. But they couldn't come up with that. In fact, only three people get out of Sodom and Gomorrah before it's destroyed. And there's no way, no way to defend Lot in this lesson tonight. This guy, Lot, tonight, he is an absolute mess. He is a mess as a man, as a leader, as a father, as a husband. And the choices that are made affects generations past this. It's a mess. And if you would just read Genesis 19, and that was your only discussion on Lot, it'd be really easy to say, well, we know where Lot's at for all of eternity. He's in hell. There's no way around that. Look at what this guy does. And once again, I don't think I'm giving away spoilers. If you don't know how the chapter ends, to make a very long story short, Lot is left in this cave with his two virgin daughters, and they both get him drunk, and they sleep with their father. And there's this ancestral drunken relationship, and... That's how it ends. And that's, there's all this other junk that happens before that. But here in 2 Peter chapter 2, we have a little bit of background and a lot. Verse 6, 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 6 turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. That's, that's the point. Verse 6, Sodom and Gomorrah destroyed. Their sin was such a stench that God had to stop and say, I'm done with them. Verse 7, Delivered righteous Lot. Righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul, from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. If we only see chapter 19, we see a man who can't save his son-in-laws, he can't save his wife, and he ends the chapter having that horrible story go on with his daughters. And there's other stuff, like I said, mixed in there as well. But yet here in the New Testament, we see Lot being righteous. Now, you've got to remember the definition of the term righteous. Righteous does not mean that Lot himself has done good things to be righteous. It means Lot is made righteous by God and God alone. The point of it is this. You all know somebody who's a lot. I mean, they're just a despicable person. They can still be made righteous through Jesus Christ. That's that's the gospel message. Some of you sitting in here tonight at one time or another were a lot. And you have been made righteous by Jesus Christ. So as we pick on Lot... The bookends of tonight's message is 2 Peter 2, verses 6 through 8. And we've got a lot to cover tonight, so I don't know if we can do it all tonight. But if, if we can, I'm also going to come back to 2 Peter 2, verses 6 through 8 again to remind you, this man could be made righteous through Christ Jesus. That is an important part of a gospel, is to understand, yes, we're all sinners, despicable sinners, that can never approach a holy God. But we can be made righteous, which means be made right. Through Jesus Christ. So this despicable man is actually going to be made righteous later on. What an amazing picture that is. So jump back now to Genesis 19, if you will, please. Genesis 19. The key verse for tonight's lesson is found in verse 16 of Genesis 19. While he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him. See, this is the interesting thing about Sodom and Gomorrah. When people want to talk about Sodom and Gomorrah, they want to talk about destruction and hellfire and brimstone and God judging these sexually immoral, awful, heathen people. When I read Genesis 19, I see verse 16 and it tells me that God's merciful. I like it when we talk about God being merciful. Don't get me wrong, sin is sin. Sin will be judged, sin has to be judged. But yet, isn't the goal of the gospel is that God is gracious and merciful And wants to save sinners? I mean, we just talked about this last week. We present God so often as this angry guy that just wants to see everybody go to hell. Remember the verses we put up last week? That God desires all men to be saved. God wishes that none should perish. God said in Ezekiel that he wants all the wicked to turn from their evil ways. I was just reading in devotions this week that great passage in Timothy where it says that God desires all men to be saved. So when I see the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, anytime I see a preacher preach Sodom and Gomorrah, and the only thing they want to do is just throw stones and attack people, well, what about verse 16? The Lord being merciful. So, back up. We're first introduced to Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 13, where God has already said that this is a wicked group of people. In Genesis 14, we're given a little bit of a hint what's going to happen. Because in Genesis 14, the Bible says that this area is covered in asphalt pits, or depending on your translations, I love the King James, covered in slime pits. You've got to love that. Now, I did some study here on the archaeology of this and some things along that type of line. They don't know for sure where Sodom and Gomorrah is, but most people believe that Sodom and Gomorrah is possibly under the Dead Sea, which would make sense. And it would be just this area of salt that was completely burned up. And some people believe that this asphalt pit, slime pit, was basically just a firestorm waiting to happen. And God used that there. Now, there is some discussion on whether they found some of it or not. I couldn't find anything conclusive on that. You know, I know some, if you want to study that, I encourage you to do that. Because there is some fascinating stuff that comes with that. But it's hard to say for sure, have they found this or that, etc. With that being said, we're introduced to some of these things. And now we're introduced to Lot. Verse 1 of Genesis 19. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. Now a little bit of background here once again if you weren't with us for the last couple of weeks. Last week in Genesis 18, we have a, what we believe is an appearance of God with two angels that came and visited Abraham. We left off last week that God sent these two angels to Sodom to kind of take a look at it. To see what's really going on there. So these two angels now showed up to Sodom. And here's Lot sitting at the gate. Now remember how Lot got to this point. Genesis 13, Lot saw Sodom and he said it looked good. Genesis 13, it says that he pitched his tent near Sodom. So he kind of moved into the suburbs. Genesis 14 says he's living in Sodom. Genesis 19, he's at the gate. If you know the Old Testament, if you sat at the gate, that was a position of power. That was a position of prestige. Because when you sat at the gate, when someone came into the city, you were there to represent the city as a leader in a leadership position. So now that we see Lot in a leadership position in Sodom. Now we talk about this all the time. This is a picture of compromise. We look at something in the world and it looks good, just like Lot looked at Sodom. Next thing you know, we're near it. We pitch our tent near it. And the next thing you know, we're living in it. And next thing you know, it's our life. I mean, seriously, think about that. Most of the time when we get ourselves caught up in sin, it just doesn't happen like that. It is a slow, deadly Progression. Slow, deadly progression. I, I remember distinctly, I had this friend, and he used to struggle with, with drinking all the time. And he got saved, got him out of that type of lifestyle. But what would happen is, he would get out of it, but just like Lot, he would still look at that party scene. Almost with this, oh man, do you remember what that was like? And then he would pitch his tent near it. I remember him saying, I'm going to go to the party, but I'm not going to drink. Oh, that was a great idea. But he'd go to the party, and then he was living in the party. And the next thing you know, he is the life of the party. Followed by a lot of guilt, shame, and regret. I mean, seriously, the same thing happens with anybody. You know, you're online and you see a site that's maybe not appropriate. I'm not going to look. But you look a little bit. Next thing you know, you're getting closer to it. Or there's that person you shouldn't really be talking to. But next thing you know, you're kind of talking a little bit more. It goes from looking to being near it, to being living in it, until it's your life. And we all know this, but here's the problem. We're all sitting here, we hear this, we all know this, but do we realize it when it's happening in our own lives? Lot ends up leadership position in this town. What happens? Verse 2. He said, Here now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet, that you may rise early and go on your way. And they said, No, but we will spend the night in the open square. But he insisted strongly. So they turned into him and entered his house, and he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Now, it's kind of interesting in verse 2 that they wanted to stay in the center square. Hey, we're just passing through. Lot said, Nope, you've got to stay at my house. Did Lot know how rough Sodom was? I mean, have you ever had that person that lives in a, in a maybe a major metropolitan area and they're like, hey, I'll, I'll go meet you here and I'll make sure you get from here to there. Oh, it's okay, I can find my way through. No, I don't think you should. Let me meet you there and I'll get you from there to there. You just follow me because there's certain areas you want to stay away from. Lot, it looks like he's being hospitable, which I believe he was. And I don't want to look too much into this, but verse 3 Did he really know what would happen if they would sleep in the center square? Because guess what happens? Verse 4. Now before they lay down, the men of Sodom, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. And they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. Some translations don't water down the word carnally. And they say, bring out the men that we may rape them. There's a very straightforwardness in this. We use terms like carnally, sexually immoral. These men said, we know you have two visitors. Send them out. We just want to rape them. We want to fulfill our sexual pleasure with them. Send them out to us. Now, this is the interesting thing about Sodom and Gomorrah, because this is what we talk about all the time with Sodom and Gomorrah. This idea of this, you know, these guys and this rape and this sexual morality and this homosexuality, etc. It's interesting when God looks at Sodom and Gomorrah, how he looks at it. i got some verses I want to put up there. Dustin, can you put up that first, that first slide? Sometimes when there's a lot of verses, it's just easier for me just to put them up here to save us time. There's three things that God didn't like about Sodom and Gomorrah. The first one is in Isaiah 3, verse 9. The people of Sodom don't even try to hide their sin. That's out of the New Living Translation. They were blatant about their sin. That's the first thing that God didn't like about Sodom and Gomorrah. Blatant sin. And you see that right here, verse 5. Hey, send the guys out. Send the guys out. God hates blatant sin. Because what blatant sin really is, I know right, I know wrong, I don't care that it's wrong. I'm going to do it openly, visibly, in front of everybody. I don't care blatant sin next one Ezekiel 16 look this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom she and her daughter had pride hates pride fullness of food and abundance of idleness neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy and they were haughty and committed abomination before me therefore I took them away as I saw fit no one ever talks about this sin of Sodom they were prideful and they were greedy they had a way to help people instead of helping people they chose not to what we mostly focus on is this one, sexual sin, Jude 1, verse 7. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, and a similar manner, these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. That is also, these things that are happening. Basically, Sodom was openly sinning. They were selfish. They were prideful. There was sexual immorality. There was greed. There wasn't really anything left to say this is a redeemable place. And remember, before God just all of a sudden judged them, remember what happened back to chapter 18, verse 21. I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against that has come to me, and if not, I will know. He basically said, I'm sending these guys out to check this out first. I cannot stress this point to you enough. This is a gracious, loving God. Before he disciplines Sodom and Gomorrah by destroying them, he says, let me go see if this is true first. Let me go see if this is true. And you know, that's one thing that's always difficult as a parent. You walk in on the scene, and you have one of your kids crying, and the other one holding the smoking gun, and you're ready just to jump in and start disciplining. Just ready to start doing it. Okay, let me find out what happened first. Because my fleshly response is, let's just be quick to judge, where the wisdom response is, let's see what's going on. And like right here, I see verse 21. I'm thinking, come on, Lord, what do you really need to go see? They're they're awful people. Judge them. Well, you know what? If you go to the story of Jonah, Nineveh was an awful place. Remember Jonah's heart? Let's just judge Nineveh. Just forget Nineveh. God says, Jonah, no, go tell Nineveh they need to repent. they're, They're so awful. Why are we wasting our time on it? So Jonah begrudgingly goes to Nineveh after a little detour through a big fish. He goes to Nineveh, and guess what happens? They had the audacity to repent. Aren't you glad that God is loving and gracious? Some of you sitting here tonight, there probably was somebody at one time that looked at you and said, don't waste your time with them with the gospel. Just don't. Just don't. It's not worth it. God went to Sodom, sent two messengers, angels, and said, I'm going to find out on my own what's really going on here. He's a merciful God. So here are the listing of the sins of Sodom. Blatant sin, pride, greed, sexual sin, sexual morality, etc. So what does the Lord want to do with that? You go and take that down, Dustin. So they asked for them, verse 5, they want to rape them. Lot's great response, verse 6. So Lot went out to them through the doorway, shut the door behind him and said, Please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. See, now I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you and you may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. Let's start picking on Lot. There's no way to defend this. Verse 8, he is a weak, weak, let me stress again, weak man. His response to the mob crowd that says, send out these visitors. Lot seems to know who they are. Verse 8, since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. Send out these men so we can rape him. Lot's response is, don't rape these guys. Hey, I have two virgin daughters. Let me send them out to you and you do whatever you want to them. This, this is a weak man. And you know what happens today? And I'll be honest with you. We see a lot of families falling apart. And why are families falling apart? Because they have weak spiritual men leading them. If you are called, if God has called you, and you have a family and you have a wife, God has called you to be a strong spiritual leader. Now you may stop here and say, well, I would never send my kids out to a m-. I agree. But a lot of times when I sit down and talk to a guy, they don't know how to lead their family spiritually. So what's learned from Lot on not what to do. Verse 8, the answer is not, hey, this is so awful, guys. Don't, don't rape the angelic messengers. Take my virgin daughters. That's awful. Verse 9, they said, stand back. And they said, this one came in to stay here and he keeps acting as a judge. Obviously, Lot was trying to be a light and a witness in some ways. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against this man, Lot, and came near to break down the door. But the men reached out their hands, pulled Lot into the house with them, and shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great. So they stood, became weary, trying to find the door. These guys are miraculously struck with blindness. Their sin desire is so strong, even though they're struck with blindness, they're still groping for the door to get in. Now, before you start thinking that sounds unbelievable, think of all the things that people go through to get their sin pleasure. I, I, I have heard people that struggled with, the, with alcoholism and they're drinking mouthwash just to get something out of it. A true story, I know of a person that tried to get out, it struggled with alcoholism so much, that I can't have, this is a true story, they filled their window washer fluid up with alcohol and would run a tube into their car. So they could put the tube into their mouth and turn on their window washer thing so the alcohol would come through so they could drink it, you know? You know, you got the guys that are willing to have this pornography thing whatever way they can, and they're, they're playing with fire with their computer or hiding stuff. We, we do the same thing still today. You know, so before we look at these guys and say, look at this, they're struck with blindness, and they're still going for the door, I bet if you look back on your life, there's probably been a time where, you know what, the Lord was trying to blind you from that sin, and you just kept groping for it. But God is a God of mercy. What happens now? Verse 12, these men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, a son in law, your sons, your daughters, and whomever you have in this city, take them out of this place, for we will destroy this place, because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons in laws, who had married his daughters, and said, Get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy it. But to his sons in laws, he seemed to be joking. We've already established the fact that he was a weak, weak man we already established the fact that he has no witness now. I mean, he's trying to tell his sons-in-laws, leave, verse 14. They think he's joking. They think he's joking. Is your walk with Christ so minimal, so uneventful, that when you try to take a stand for the Lord, people don't take you seriously? Because... Maybe your walk with the Lord is not as strong as you think it is. So when you start saying something to the fact of, I am going to tell you about Jesus, they say, yeah, sure. Sure, tell tell me about Jesus. Yeah, let, let's hear this. This is going to be good. You're, you're going to tell me how to live a righteous life. You're going to tell me about heaven and how... Yeah, I know what you're like. Problem is, your witness is so weak that when you try to take a stand for the Lord, no one listens. Lot's witness was so weak... No one wanted to listen. Verse 15, When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of this city. Verse 16, And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. Lot couldn't even get his butt in gear to get out of town. So we have this man being a weak man of compromise. We have this man being a weak man of witness. We have this guy now who can't even lead his family out of destruction. It's like being in your living room and your house is on fire. And instead of saving your family, you're just sitting there twiddling your thumbs. This man is so indecisive and so weak. This is why I wanted to go to 2 Peter 2, verse sixes through eight first, because he's still considered righteous Lot, which is the grace and mercy of the Lord. And I want to be careful what I say about Lot here because, number one, I've had Lot moments in my life. Number two, I will be spending eternity with this guy. And if I pick on him too much, I know God's sense of humor. He'll say, James, your house is right beside Lot. And Lot's going to give me a dirty look for all of eternity. But through this lesson... There's not a lot you can say good about them. There's, there's not. So let's let's take a quick break right here, right now, and just do a quick question comment thing here because we got to get to the second half, the escape, if you will, from Sodom and Gomorrah. Is anybody? Ever, yeah, Ryan. Uh, verse fourteen is uh, one of those rare instances of skepticism in the Bible where people don't believe something that God has said, kind of like the and Thomas moment. Mm-hmm. And that's a very good point is why do they think he was joking is because it looks like putting this piece of the puzzle together, there'd be no reason for them to think that Lot would have anything to say of thus saith the Lord. Like I said, this guy's witness had become such a joke that no one was even listening to him anymore. And what a sad place to be spiritually when no one even pays attention to what you say. Anybody's have anything here? Yeah, surely. Yeah, how did Lot become righteous? Well, I, The way I can answer that question is, how did I become righteous? You know, what we seem to think would happen here with Lot is that we see in Second Peter that it says that his soul was distressed by these things daily. So even though this man was a man of weakness, this man was a man of compromise, this man was a man of a lack of a witness, there was still something in his heart that knew that these actions were wrong. And we get a small glimpse of it in verse... Um, 9, in the same chapter, this one came in to stay here and he keeps acting as a judge. So we are picking on Lot because there's not a lot of good things to say this chapter, but there seems to be something in his heart where he still cared about the things of the Lord. And let me give you another biblical example of it. And, you know, I, we've seen this set up before. And I'm going to talk about King David for a second. If I came up to you and said, let me tell you about this guy I met. This guy I met is married. Not even married to one wife, he's married to numerous wives. And this is what he told me he did. He saw this gal, he wanted this gal. So he brought her over, they had an affair, and then she got pregnant. And so to kind of cover up this pregnancy, he made sure that her husband got killed. And this guy's in a position of power and he overtook advantage of that. And then what happened is he brought this guy's wife in, pretended that everything was good. And he's now gone in an unrepentant state for a year. I mean, anybody that heard that would say, well, this guy can't know the Lord. Well, that's exactly what King David did. He, he knew the Lord. He was just in this backslidden state. See, there's these terms the Bible uses. One is called backslidden Christian. Paul uses another term called a carnal Christian. Where they seem to have a relationship with the Lord, but the flesh seems to be winning. Think of all the Old Testament saints. We've already talked about Abraham. Let's look at Abraham's track record. He's lied twice about Sarah being his wife. And Abraham decided to agree with this wonderful idea of I'll sleep with the maidservant to give myself a kid. Okay. Now let's talk about Jacob and Esau. Jacob, who gets to be the father of the twelve tribes of Israel. His great plan is I'm going to pretend to be somebody else and steal the birthright. Gideon, let's talk about Gideon. Gideon, great man of valor. The guy that's hiding from the Midianites because he's so scared. So I guess to answer your question, Shirley, is what did Lot do to become righteous? What did any of us do to become righteous? There was something in Lot's heart, and we see a glimpse of it in Genesis 19. We see another glimpse of it in 2 Peter 2, where he was so tormented by these things that he knew in his heart that what Sodom was doing was wrong. But yet he was so weak of a man to be able to take a stand and do anything about it. So I think sometimes as Christians, we've got to be careful when we start seeing this Christian in name that doesn't have the follow-through in lifestyle. Sometimes we've got to be careful. We don't know what's going on in the heart there. Yeah. Well, yeah, we do know for a fact, obviously, David. We have an example of David. And, excuse me, Psalm 51 is his great repentance. You know, with Lot, it becomes very quiet after this chapter. And that's why I think it's so important that we have that little postscript of Second Peter chapter 2. Because we do see a glimpse into his heart of he is tormented by these things that happened. So, yes, there was a time there where Lot obviously said, okay, Lord, I'm really wrong on this. Anybody else have anything here? Before. Yeah, Cindy. So because he had the the, in his heart, that is the reason why God forgave him? No, and that's not. Because when you say the goodness in our heart, we've got to be careful about that phrase. Romans chapter 3 makes it abundantly clear there is no goodness in any of our hearts. Romans 3 makes it clear that there is nothing redeemable about us. So what happened in Lot's life to make him righteous... The Bible doesn't come out and explicitly say, but we know from studying other people, what has to happen to make an unrighteous man righteous? They need to repent. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't that God looked at Lot and said, hey, you ancestral bad leader person, I see a glimmer of good in you. No, Lot had to reach a point sometime where he said, I can't believe what I did. Lord, I'm sorry. And the best example of that is Psalm 51. Go read Psalm 51 and you see a heart that is repentant and broken and sorrowful. For what they did. And that's what the Lord was looking for. Alright, anybody else have anything here before we move on? right, well we got to at least cover a little bit more of this here. And we're running out of time, so I'm going to pick up the pace a little bit. Um, Verse 17, it came to pass when they had brought them outside that he said, Escape for your life, do not look behind you. Remember that phrase, do not look behind you. Nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountain, lest you be destroyed. Then Lot said to them, Please know, my lords... Indeed, now your servant has found favor in your sight and you have increased your mercy which you have. You have shown me by saving my life, but I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me and I die. At this point, if I was an angel, I would have slapped this guy. Verse 19, I can't go to the mountains because something bad may be there. We're getting ready to torch the town, man. Have you ever talked to somebody who just doesn't get it? I mean, they, they just... Don't get it. And and Lot right here, I can't go to the mountains. I'm a weak guy. Verse 20, see now this city near is enough to flee, and there's a little one. Please let me escape there. See, is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And they said to him, see, I have favored you concerning this thing also, and I will not overthrow this city for which you have spoken. And basically the angels, I think in 22, are saying, just get out of here. Hurry, escape there. For I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zora, which Zora means insignificant or little. The sun had not risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zora. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens, so He overthrew those cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. But his wife looked back behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. I wanted to get to this point, and this is what we're going to finish here. We have Lot as a weak man of compromise. He has no witness. He was going to linger. And now what we have here in verses 18 and 19, in the midst of destruction, he wants to do some type of deal with God. And it's kind of interesting if you see what happens here. Um, Lot, verse 30, I'm jumping ahead. Lot went up out of Zora and dwelt in the mountains. Isn't that kind of interesting? As time went on, Lot realized the best place to be was the mountains. I have two final points and I have to make them quick. The first point is this, has the Lord ever revealed something to you and you didn't want to do it? You knew your way was better, so you did your way. And then you eventually went back and did God's way because you realized his way was really the best. that That's what happened here with Lot. I guess the mountains were better. God's way is always the best way. Let's just listen to it the first time. The whole thing, verse 26, about his wife looking back and becoming a pillar of salt. Real quick reference, Luke 17, verse 32. Luke 17, verse 32. Jesus just simply says, remember Lot's wife. Jesus' point is, remember what happened to Lot's wife. What happened to Lot's wife? She looked back. She became a pillar of salt. If you remember correctly, we told you to remember um, verse 17. Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Specific command, don't look back. What happens in verse 26? She looks back and she's judged immediately. Now, before you think, that sounds harsh. Because isn't this a little bit of human nature? If I'm running from a town that's going to be blown up, I mean, don't we look back a little bit? A couple things here. The first answer is just a legalistic answer. If God said no, it's no. Let's just keep it simple. If God said don't do it, then don't do it. Why do we do this as Christians? You know, the Lord said that this action is wrong. Well, okay, I I agree it's wrong, but I'm just going to kind of flirt with it for a little bit. I'm not going to really look back. I'm just going to kind of, you know, look back a little. No, if God said it's no, it's no. Number two, in the original Hebrew, this phrase for look back is not glance back. This phrase for look back literally means to long for. So what Hague's really saying here in verse... um, I just lost again. Verse 17, do not look behind you. Basically saying, separate yourself from Sodom. Don't miss this house. Don't miss this anything. Get out of here. Verse 26, what his wife is really doing is longing for Sodom. She's kind of saying, I don't want to go to Zorah. I don't want to go to the mountains. I kind of want to go back to Sodom. Boy, I tell you this, and if you got the answer figured out, please see me because I don't have the answer figured out. What do you do when somebody wants to look back at Sodom? You can't make them not want it. They have to learn the hard way that it does no good to long for that lifestyle. To long for that sinful pleasure that may be temporary fun followed by guilt, shame, regret, and conviction. Lot's wife longed for Sodom. She looked back at it. There was still a check in her heart where she wanted it. And God said, I can't allow that. You, you can't leave Sodom and still want Sodom. I just read in devotions this today, where the Bible talks about as Christians, we're supposed to walk in newness of life. Newness of life. And the point being simple. If I say I get saved and my life stays the same, where's the newness of life? So therefore, if we move out of Sodom, but we're just going to get a, just get, just get away from the fire and we're going to come right back, you're not really moving out of Sodom. God says, you've got to get out of here. You've got to leave this. You've got to get this behind you. Do not look back. Do not linger back. Do not long for it. It's going to destroy you. Lot's wife is an example of what happens when we hang on to the pleasures of this world. It leads to judgment. We've got to be willing to let it go. So, we're kind of cutting it short there a little bit because we've got to get done because I know they got kids in the back. Anybody got any final questions, comments here before we close up? We'll have to finish up Sodom and Gomorrah here the next time we get together. All righty. Let's pray and we'll let you go. Heavenly Father, help us to just live the life. When you say no, it's no. When you say yes, it's yes. Help us to learn from the weaknesses of Lot's wife. Help us to not be men and women of compromise. Not to be men and women of lost or witness, To not be men and women that linger in sin but to truly go full forward in you and all ways and all things. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for taking us awful, to sinful, despicable people and through Christ making us righteous. In your name we pray. Amen. You guys have a good week. God bless.